Writers should take acting classes. It's not just to perform, but also to understand that your words need to be said by actors or performers. You should really care for your actors so that you're taking care of them through your words. Like, of course, they could be shitty characters, but like, they should be like good shitty words too. <laughs> everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising black, indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Ray Mendoza-Landa, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. Our guest this week is Jun Chung. He is a Korean-American working as a script coordinator at Mighty Picnic. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Jun Chung. I am a script coordinator on a show called Liza Loops, working title, and it's going to air on PBS sometime later. As we all know, animation takes forever. <laughs> but yeah, there's a press release about it. You can read about it. It's a, it's a STEM-related show mm-hmm. about a young girl mm-hmm. and her fuzzy buddy that they try to invent stuff to make solutions for their family and friends. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. That's really sweet. <laughs> oh. Before we get into the rest of that, the way we'd like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. All right. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> I've been waiting for this. <laughs> have you? Yeah. I mean, I listened, I listened to you guys, and I really enjoy this segment, so oh. I'm... Uh, oh, yay. Yeah. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hopefully, we have some good questions lined up for you. And I'll Ray, start us off. every question's good. Don't don't put yourself down like that, okay? It's the pressure. Don't put yourself down like that because you do that every time in this segment. I hope you had fun. Everyone has fun. Oh, <laughs> oh thanks, oh, man. Thanks, dude. All right, on that high note, I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather hang out at the Sugar Bowl from Arthur or the Candy Bar from Jimmy Neutron? Okay, I'm unfamiliar with Jimmy Neutron's lore. Well... <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah, I've seen the movie, didn't really watch the show at all. I didn't mm. like the animation style. No fault to, you horrific. know, like, sorry. But I just did it's, not love the... The limitations of 3D of that time. That's oh, pretty totally. yeah. I, I think it's less about, like, limitation, but just the design. Like, his hair, like, it's like a 1950s retro, <laughs> you know, future kid look. Their cheeks are so like. Well, they do. They do live in Retroville. <laughs> that, oh, that, so I totally forgot I'm on about the money that. with what they're going for. <laughs> His Jimmy Neutron's <laughs> cheeks are like that dog from Looney Tunes with the um, droopy, like his like. Uh. You know, but um, I mean, the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, I mean, Sugar Bowl. I would love to live in Elmwood City and meet all those people, <laughs> and have my best friend Brain behind the counter giving me like. <laughs> ice cream Aww. and cupcakes and whatever I want. What? Yeah, I, I'm so sorry. That's such a bust of a question because I have no idea what Jimmy Neutron's all about. <laughs> no, no worries. It's just like the candy bar is like a, a similar concept yeah. where it's just it's a place that they always hang out to like get. Uh, it's like what's an ice cream. They always get purple yeah. flurps and like ice cream and stuff. Is it like a like Johnny candy. Rockets because it is of that era? Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's how that's yeah. how it is. I like how you were like, Brain is my best friend now. <laughs> you just assigned that. I imagine everyone of that class were best friends with each other. Because so they always hung out. Yeah. Um, but oddly, when George became like a main character, because, you know, it's 20 years going, George the, the moose. Mm-hmm. And then he, 
he's a weirdo like he's a ventriloquist kid and like <laughs> like you never heard him speak up until the episode that they actually featured him in and had a focus episode, yeah it's like yeah. simpsons when it's like who's that side character i guess we have no one to talk about let's explore this mm-hmm. kid and now yeah. he's the owner of sugar bowl in the um last episode <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Like, what did you think of the, the last episode? I brought my, I almost came to tears oh. because, Aww. not because it was ending. I'm, I'm feeling it again right now, Frick. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> because, um, okay. Oh. <laughs> I gotta get this thought out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have an Arthur fist in the back of... <laughs> Like, I don't know if I'll show it to you. <laughs> it's so funny. That's uh, so great. <laughs> I I can't believe it. I can't believe it's Okay, framed. so my friend Karen... Oh, is this a needlepoint oh, or something? Is this, oh. this is needlepoint. Yeah, this is just like a stitching... Whoa. That's incredible. ...that she was making just because she was working out her skills. And I was like, yeah. oh my god, that's amazing. Can, I, can you make me one of those? And she just sent it to me. And um, that's so dope. <laughs> yeah, that episode was pretty epic. I feel I feel like as a culture, we all remember that episode because that's the episode Arthur hits DW. And <laughs> I don't know if they ever re-aired that episode, but it was definitely iconic in my head because it felt so real. It's like, yeah, I would mm-hmm. punch DW if I could. <laughs> she can be so annoying. But uh, that's no, all yeah, to I, say. I've gotten mad at my sibling where we we've come to blows. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that happens. It's, it's definitely not appropriate, but it's definitely awesome no. that they showed it to then like, how do you cope Work with through a it. method like yeah. that or, mm-hmm. or like a bad, you know, bro, big brother. But um, I related to Arthur growing up. I was such a dweeb, wore glasses. Like he, he's just like an everyday kid. And I, I definitely mm-hmm. uh, put myself onto him like that. And then at the end of this, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't been keep keeping up, but Arthur becomes yeah. a writer. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. having grown up watching Arthur to now, it almost like affirmed my choice to become a writer. Oh. And so, it's like seeing Arthur, um, it's like reflecting back what I saw myself on the screen. And um, for the creators to have um, picked that choice, it was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I don't like how Arthur, adult Arthur sounds. His voice actor is so weird, but um, he was like, hey, what's up, Buster? It was like such a yeah, weird. There's some choices there. But maybe uh, I hated it because I was his like. long hair choice. Yeah, long hair. But maybe I hated yeah. it because I was like, is that what I sound like? I hate it. <laughs> the weird choice I thought was like, every to me, everybody else looks like an actual adult and Arthur just looks like he's still like he's like he's in college, early 20s, like he's still discovering who he is. Yeah. Everybody else has like a blazer, you know, adult like, haircut. Everybody's everybody. like put together. <laughs> yeah. And like Arthur just there like in a, in, a, in a sleeveless hoodie with like his like, yeah. like messed up hair. <laughs> I mean, he made his first book, but, so um, yeah. he's, still, he's still figuring it out. But yeah, yeah, that was such a great ending, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very sweet, bringing it all back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm so happy like it resonated with you on such a like a deep level. Like I love yeah. that, and that's it's really awesome. It's really sweet. Sorry, I made you cry. Didn't mean to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yuki, how could you? You made me cry with your thoughtful questions. 
Uh, but yeah, you want you have one All for right. us. Let's hear it. I'm, I'm this this is uh, not used to this. Which <laughs> yeah. which layer would you want to hang out in more? The Ninja Turtles sewers or Batman's Batcave? Oh, mm. that's good. I you go, you can go first, Yuki. I uh, I mean my immediate thought was like I love the turtles, but I'd be in a sewer. <laughs> like it would it would just smell so bad all of the time and batman i'm not like the biggest fan i think he's cool but i'm not like you know a batman fan or whatever it, it would be a pretty neat cave <laughs> i don't know maybe i maybe i would go with the the turtles hangout because even though it like smells and it sucks i'd be like hey dudes let's go somewhere else <laughs> i'm also facing the same and the same um, conflict because the Batman cave, in my opinion, is a lot cooler. There's more gadgets, there's more higher yeah, and more stuff, higher yeah. tech. Yeah, I get to like see like all his like cool stuff that he's collected or from past battles, like the giant coin, the T Rex, seeing all of <laughs> yeah, the yeah. costumes. But like a museum. But I'm also assuming there's a bunch of bat feces everywhere. No, oh, wow. Alfred keeps it clean. Come on, uh, that's a big cave. That's too much to keep clean. You know, there's bats in there. You know, there's feces somewhere. So. <laughs> I think I'm okay. The sewers is also bad, but if April and Neil can hang out in there and not feel disgusted, I I feel like Hmm. I could too. And plus, the turtles would actually want to hang out with me. Batman wouldn't give two fucks if I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Don't touch anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, how did I even get here? But also, like, okay, Batman. I'm sorry. (laughs) So, ah. As stinky as it might be, I think sewers, just because I would actually be able to hang out with like Leo, Michelangelo, and Raphael and Donatello. Yeah, Batman wouldn't care. If anything, I'd probably be talking to Alfred, <laughs> which Alfred is probably still cool, but like, yeah, ba- Batman wouldn't care. <laughs> How about what, you, what about you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, me? I think the turtles, I, I consider all the smell stuff, but like, mm. <laughs> it'll, it'll, yeah, pizza w- will be stealing pizzas all the time, so that'll be fine. And doing skateboarding like in half pipes <laughs> across oh, the sewers true. is pretty sick. Mm-hmm. And the turtles layer is just bright. Batman's like if you watch the animated series it's like dark. from the 90s, mm-hmm. it's dark. But also the sound design is just literally like you just hear the computer clicking. And just it's just like room tone <laughs> silence with bats just like whizzing by. Like, yeah, echoing yeah. from the cave. So if you're into libraries, <laughs> like that's totally for you. Yeah. And it's a museum. And if you watch Batman Beyond, it just looks like a coffin at that point. Like, it's just so mm-hmm. Yeah, old. I think it's supposed to, right? Like, he's he's mm-hmm. supposed to be, you know, old Bruce is like, yeah, my I'm my legacy is over. Like, yeah. I'm old and washed up or, or whatnot. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. That was so great. Thanks for playing. But also, thanks for, like, providing us with your own with your own <laughs> questions. That was so cool. <laughs> it's really fun. I wanted to contribute. <laughs> Thank you, Chief. <laughs> Thanks, man. And if you enjoyed today's in between questions, let us know your responses, or if you have suggestions for future in between questions, contact us on social media. So, without further ado, let's kind of jump into this. Can you explain what you do as a script coordinator at Mighty Picnic? Yeah. So, I am a script coordinator, and typically, at least on the East Coast, because I hear West Coast and like those writers' rooms are different and what these positions oh. mean. But okay. in my mm. respect for a script coordinator, I am distributing scripts. So what that means is I wind up proofing 
every stage of a script. So that could be from the premise, outline, a draft one, a draft two. It could be a post-research draft or a polish, and then mm -hmm. the possibly a table redraft, and then the final uh, for record draft or final production script, whatever your company winds up naming these things. I wind up proofing them before they go to the stakeholders. So that's our production team. That's the broadcast team. There could be a co-production team that we need to get notes from as well. So the mm -hmm. whole point is to get notes from these stakeholders. They come into me. I wind up putting them into one document. So then now we all have the context of who's talking about what. And if one note affects another note and making sure the story is all intact in that way. I don't make those decisions necessarily on story, but I could put them together and organize them in a way so that all the heads can make the decision, the best decisions they can for the stories. Mm -hmm. I take notes during meetings. So any writing meetings there are, I would be taking notes and any story related things. And I might be typing like crazy, like a stenographer, but then afterwards I'd, I'll have to clean them up myself too. Like if I have any shorthand right. or, mm -hmm. you know, whoever reads it needs to be able to understand it. So that's really important. So you can't just make assumptions because people don't remember what the hell they say. They're like, blah, 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 yeah. and then it's like, what did I say? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's really important to be a fast typer. I mean, okay, there, there's a lot of nitty gritty too, like making agendas off the notes that come in. So being organized mm -hmm. in that way, making sure all the scripts are organized by their different stages, where the notes are. So it's a lot of file management and being very mm -hmm. organized in that way. A lot of correspondence with all the stakeholders. So for the writing team, I'll wind up sending out the messages from our team of being like, please review this by this date. Here are some points we're looking at for the future stories uh, to keep in mind. So a lot of messaging mm -hmm. comes through me in that way. So a lot of email etiquette. And keeping the writing schedule intact, so making sure all the deadlines are being met or at least keeping an eye on those so that our head writer is aware of where deadlines are so that we could reach out to writers and be like, hey, where is this? Or how's it coming along? Is there any way we can help? And um, right. sending documents to writers so that they can write the best stories they can. Mm. Okay, that's really interesting. Something that you mentioned earlier is like you said, like the what you do right now, that role might differ from what's on the on the West Coast. Is that because the West Coast has a union? Does the East Coast not have its own writers union? The union on the East Coast, as far as animation, is not very strong or there really isn't one. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know any Animation Guild projects at the moment on the East Coast. And then a lot of things are non-union projects on the East Coast. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So the roles are probably are as defined if there was like a, a union involved. Yeah. So I know I know there are Canadian unions involved because a lot of East Coast productions involve Canadian production companies and like talent and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like whatever their Canadian SAG-AFTRA equivalent is, there's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. I think Canada is very union forward. I'm part of the WGA East union, but there isn't that much happening for the animation mm. side of things. I think we're all in this... I mean, I'm hearing all about the news about the animation. We just re there was recently like the the rally, I think, for Animation mm -hmm. Guild. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the issue is like people don't consider our work as esteemed because it's for kids, right? So yeah, I guess our unions here is just like just they don't feel like there's enough work to say no to if it's not unionized mm -hmm. right now. So I don't know where it's going to go. And I know that's a fight that people have been trying to figure out, but haven't on the East Coast, at least. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
And as far as the original question, I think there's different titles like writer's assistant or apprentice writer or something. And like I've been listening to podcasts recently and a lot of people have been talking about like <laughs> there's a writing coordinator, a script coordinator or uh, a writer's assistant and they all serve a similar function, but the title is different. Yeah, we kind of went over a little bit of that in Roxy Simon's episode. Right. Roxy, that you uh, had suggested to us as a guest. So thanks again for that. Yeah, if you guys haven't, please check out Roxy's episode, uh, episode 56. She talks a lot about the differences between live action titles versus animation titles for writers, at least. And I had no idea that that was like a completely different thing, even even though it's like all entertainment. Right. Uh, that's very interesting. Also, kind of going back to your position as a script coordinator. So you're more of like, Getting closer to, I guess, the executive end because you talk with the uh, stakeholders, like you said, it's more of a position where you are organizing people rather than writing the actual scripts. Or do you like also have a hand in like being in the writer's room and contributing that way? Yeah. So I think it's definitely dependent on where you are because I, mm -hmm. again, listened to a different podcast and she was a staffer on uh, Chalk Zone, you know, back in the day. Mm. And Mm -hmm. When they brought her on, she said that they told her explicitly, like, this is just a writer's, you know, assistant or coordinator job. You can't submit. Like, and she was like, okay. Whereas for me now, uh, the last two like, current job in my last place, which was Nine Story, which, you know, the creator of Blue's Clues is from there. They're making Xavier Riddle, mm -hmm. you know, distribute Wildcrats and all this stuff. But um, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which I worked on. They're very nurturing, that company. They want to, they mm -hmm. are big on nurturing writers so that they can start from the bottom and go all the way up. And they're very big proponents of advancing writers to wherever they need or want to go. So mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's me being older, like I'm 33 and I started this writing uh, for kids like 2017. So that's five years ago already. But I've already had like several jobs along the way. I'm sure we'll talk about it, but like because. I think mm -hmm. I have confidence in myself a little bit. There's a little more like, can I write? And asking those kinds of questions and being a little more forward with that. But um, mm. because they are already open to it, I knew I can ask. So mm -hmm. that that felt okay mm -hmm. to ask for those things. So like Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, there were shorts. So sort of like lower stakes writing projects. You know what I mean? Like even though they're going out to the universe into content or whatever, but they don't have as much story per se. So it's just like learning how to get into the character's heads that way. And it's not as big a task as writing a whole script. So finding those little moments of like, can I write a log line is something a script coordinator I think can do or volunteer for. There's a lot of social mm -hmm. blurbs that we have to, uh, that productions have to write. Like what are the episodes going to be about uh, in mm. 40 words or less or characters, mm -hmm. you know, like these super tiny things you have to write. So that's another opportunity. The Bible itself, if you start looking it over and you're like, hey, the Bible looks weird over here or isn't consistent with what we've been talking about these days. Can I change that? And I feel like a lot of people, because there's so much work, they don't want to do it. They're like, yeah, go for it. So mm -hmm. um, there's <laughs> a lot of that. So where, wherever you can find those opportunities, however small it can be, can help you a lot to make people know that you are capable and are interested in that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really interesting to me because like, uh, I guess something that's like not unknown, but no, no production is kind of created equal. And you worked on like, as you mentioned, uh, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and you also done Get Rolling with Otis. How did like being your current position, whether as a writing coordinator, or script coordinator, like how did 
deposition different between different projects? Does like the role kind of change on what you do or do they are they fairly similar? So when I worked at Nine Story, on as far as the East Coast goes, like I think we're such a small I mean, animation industry is already small, right? Compared to the, mm-hmm. the at large live action and adult industries, but not porn. Just uh, it's very hard to distinguish between kids, grown up. Yeah. How about grown up, uh, grown up stuff? <laughs> and you you essentially pass through nine story. I think on the East Coast, like you you got to work through Nick. You got to work through like nine story. You're going to work possibly with PBS. Like those are the big three East Coast people. And oh, Silvergate's here too. But like nine story has a particular way of doing things. So that winds up like branching out into the other places because now nine story has created this like base of how to do things. Now people take that, which I'm doing too mm-hmm. with this Mighty Picnic project. So they were very organized and, uh, and had a particular way of doing things. Like here's how you distribute. Here's how you write the notes. Here's how a uh, final draft file should be labeled. Whereas now at Mighty Picnic, like it's the first production, first um, series created by the series creator. So we're finding what works for us. The personalities here are way different of how they approach notes and um, mm-hmm. how they want to see things. So even though I'm bringing some of my nine story experience to the table, it's not quite working the way it did for them mm-hmm. at nine story. So now it's about figuring out like, okay, what's the best way to get essentially like 12 different people's voices and make sure it gets in front of the head writers so that they can ingest it in the best way so they're not encumbered by like, oh my God, there's so many notes. Because even though they're head writers, they're still very much overwhelmed by notes if there are a lot of them. So, um, so it's, it's a lot mm-hmm. about processes. Yeah. It's like, sure, there's ways to do it, but there's no one way to do it until figuring out what works best for everyone. Well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Being kind of flexible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like we mentioned, like no production is carried equal and like it's going to have their own hiccups and it's going to have their own solutions to kind of get through that process. Yeah, and I'm so process focused. So I, I bet you guys, as animators, it's like who reviews what when is such a silly seeming question, but it's such an important one yeah. for our mm-hmm. people. Because if 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 it's yeah. between Yuki and Ray looking at something, but who looks at it first? You know, sometimes people are like, "Ah, we'll just look at it." Like, no, I need to know who <laughs> you know who who needs to yeah. look at it. So then now, like. Is it Ray commenting on Yuki's thing? Is it Yuki commenting on Ray's thing? And who has more time to look totally. at things when and uh, yeah. all this kind I mean, of calendar management? Yeah. Even on the animation side, like I'm, I'm sure you have gotten things like this before, but like we've done things where uh, we will get a note for animation and fix that. And then somebody else will come along and have the exact opposite note. And we're like, OK, so. Should we just like turn right. it back or like whose was more important here and these people didn't communicate or like what is really like what do we need to get done and like are we just wasting time by addressing the first one? You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it definitely mm-hmm. who asked what when is super important and I wish it was a little tighter and sometimes like stuff like that gets uh, like falls between the cracks. Uh, if you're working through multiple studios like communicating across uh, like multiple time zones, stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, it's it's totally important. I feel that <laughs> getting a lot of notes is never fun. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, especially when it's like a big production. Like there's so many like cooks in the kitchen. You got to just know yeah. what spices to add and what spices to kind of like leave out. Because exactly. something similar in the production I'm on is that there's a producer review and then there's a 
uh, director review. So the producer review happens first, and then the directors are like, okay, we see all the notes from the producers. What notes do we agree with? What notes can we combine? And what notes can we ignore? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, what are the notes we have? And what do we think is more important to the story that we're trying to tell? So, and that helps because then they help filter the notes and then they give it to us who has to like work on it and move forward. But mm-hmm. yeah, it can, it can be overwhelming and seeing what to listen to. And even more specifically, I know this is such nitty gritty, but it's the difference between like using Google Docs in the comment system versus putting the notes in the body of the script. Like even though these are accomplishing the same things, (laughs) people see them differently. And I'm Mm -hmm. used to like the text being in the body because that's how I learned it at Nine Story. But then now we're doing it on Google Docs commenting. So it's like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I'm flipped on my like I'm all of a sudden annoyed and irked at some system that I'm not used to, but it might be better and okay for our team. So I need to also learn or like restructure my brain to make sure it's okay for me (laughs) and my team. No, I totally get that. Just quick, like behind the scenes stuff. That's how uh, I'm exactly like you. I like writing notes in the body of the document. Yuki is very much more adding a comment and I've like (laughs) learned to adjust to that. Exactly. It's easy, it's, it is easier overall just because then if you address a note, you can just it goes away and stuff. But I've had to shift to do it that way because uh, at least for us, it, it has proven to be more efficient. But yeah, I'm just so used to writing things in the body of a mm-hmm. document. It's like, OK, once I do, it, I'll just delete it or yeah. whatever. Or as long as everybody's on the same page, I think it's yeah. OK. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's really establishing what work. I mean, I've I've been an editor, so it's like establishing workflows so that everyone knows what's going on versus like, well, we're yes. just doing this now and adopting like adopting is the big one, because once you start <laughs> doing some workflow and no one's on the same page, it's it's a big cluster fuck. <laughs> yeah, it very much can be. So something that we know about you is that you were a recipient of the Staten Island Arts DCA Premier Arts Grant in 2017 and that allows you to produce your web series we love our customers so as far as i know in like many other countries around the world there's like big like push for the arts uh lots of these sort of grants but i don't hear about that as much in like america or the states how did you kind of find out about this grant opportunity and how did you apply for it that i guess made you stand out because yeah like i said i don't know if this was just like because staten island really supports the arts or uh, if that was like a Mm -hmm. citywide kind of initiative? I think, well, eventually um, through the arts community in Staten Island, like I wound up knowing the director of that program, not to say that that's why I got it, but like, I think Mm. when you have a small arts community, it's really easy to start branching out and meet more people. And just in that way to get FaceTime, I think to know, at least she could possibly trust me that this person's creative or this person uh, might be more professional than someone else. Like those kinds of mm. little networking opportunities. It's not, I'm not networking on pers- purpose. I'm not like Jenna, hey, uh, I'm professional and creative. Look at me. It's just more <laughs> like I did stand up and she would be there for the shows and she would really champion us for those shows and help us getting space and. Uh, to mm. produce those shows. So, th- so through that, I just knew that the project, the grant existed. I think a lot of arts grants and smaller communities, a tough thing is outreach and making people mm. know that mm-hmm. they exist. So that was huge. Like even knowing her and then then being like, oh, there's an opportunity here where I could just like submit for this project. Because I think those smaller communities also are desperate to give the money out to make sure they go to the right people who right. I don't even mean right people. I just mean like people who want to express themselves uh, according mm-hmm. to their mission, I guess. Guidelines yeah. or initiative. Yeah. yeah. 
So a big part of that, I think what helped me, because web series with your friends is just like, all right, let's go out and shoot a budget. I don't know. Here's a dollar, buy a bagel. Whereas like for a grant (laughs) and what I'm learning about this show uh, right now that I'm on with PBS, when you get government or some sort of arts funded grant, you Uh have to be very explicit about where the money goes and track the Mm -hmm. money and Mm -hmm. keep the receipts. And so that taught me a lot of just like on a production level, how to manage a series in that way. Like, oh, we have episodes uh ideas for eight episodes but we only have money to maybe shoot two (laughs) you know um Mm -hmm. that application really kicked my butt into like considering okay how much money do you actually need where's the money gonna go how many people can you hire gas food costs um i mean you're essentially making a mini production for yourself so Mm -hmm. that really helped uh guide my head in terms of that way and then i think you'd be surprised how many grants are out there from a newspaper Mm. or from the community center i mean sure it might be 500 dollars, but that's more that's 500 dollars more than you have i i remember like back in the day Mm -hmm. looking up scholarships for college and being like oh a hundred dollar scholarship 500 dollars scholarship that's not worth it what an idiot (laughs) (laughs) you know there was so many like (laughs) random coca-cola scholarships for lefties not that i'm a lefty but like just apply to all of them. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know the concept of money back then Now I, that I do now. Mm-hmm. But that project led directly to my Sesame Workshop Fellowship in, in a lot of ways. At the time, I was making that web series and it was the first year of the fellowship. I applied and they brought me in for the interview and they were just like, hey, what are you working on these days? And I had that project in my pocket to just talk about. And mm. I'm like, hey, oh, nice. we're making the, yeah. Because um, I did not think I was going to get into the fellowship. Like, yes, I got in the room for the interview, but still, I still felt like, okay, this might not happen. Uh, so, oh. I was very, I was very like, <laughs> I mean, I did my homework in terms of like thinking through the interview and being prepared for it. Like, don't do that if you're a college student. Mm-hmm. You cannot, please do not uh, think you can just wing it. Okay. Please do your homework about the company. Please do your homework mm-hmm. about why you want to do this project. All those things. I was not relying on the fellowship to take me to the next spot. I think that's really hard as mm-hmm. us as creators. When we, whenever we get these opportunities, we think that's the be all end all. Like if I don't get this, it's the end of everything. And to mm-hmm. put that pressure mm-hmm. on yourself and that thing, if you can figure out a way to see it as if I get this, great. If I don't, I'll move on. That headspace is so healthy <laughs> if you can get there. But yeah, when I went in, I was just like so mm-hmm. loose because I was like, I'm not going to get this, but I'll try my best. And I'll just talk about my web series and I think they saw the potential in that is I think actually what got me in, like let alone my script sample, which obviously got me through the application. But then like, mm-hmm. I think them hearing that I could be creative in this other way really helped because I went through the right. whole program and by the end, um, the creative exec, the development exec was like, hey, June, come over here. Hey, remember that project you mentioned in the interview? Can we talk about that? And then Aww. she was like, hey, <laughs> that show that you want to be about some college age kid that's working, you know, let's turn that into a kid's animated show for six to nine year olds. And then I was like, oh, wow. oh, yeah, all those things that are in this web series that I was trying to go for are definitely like uh-huh. kid oriented sensibilities. And it would just be easier in animation in a lot of ways because it was like effects ever mm-hmm. visually heavy 
and sort of quirky oh, in like a uh-huh. magic realism way. Mm. That's really incredible how like just going along and cr- being creative and like trying to do things has eventually led to like, hey, that project, you know, didn't fulfill what I thought it was or didn't like get off the ground the way I thought it was going yeah. to. But in a later time, you know, the the pieces of that project have become something else. And like yes. it wasn't wasted time. You know, it wasn't like... Mm-hmm. A bad opportunity to have done it because if anything like it gave you you know uh extra like portfolio stuff well no, portfolio i don't yeah, know what yeah. you would refer to it as a writer but you know extra <laughs> things to say that like oh i have been actively doing this and i've actively been creative and then also just bringing it back around to like something new that you can apply it to so yeah if you guys are ever afraid of just going out and creating something i mean the best thing to do is just to do it even if it's gonna suck <laughs> No, very, very much true. It's the passion. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. something similar actually happened to me when I got my first internship at Tonko House as like uh, an animation intern. It's part of the reason why I was selected is because of this short film about this uh, little little bee that Yuki and I were working together with a couple other friends and it never it was never finished. We got it rolling, but it never saw the final product never saw the light of day. But I had a lot of animations of me animating and having like cleaned up animations of that and the internship was going to entail a lot of cleaning up keyframes so the fact that they saw clean animation in my reel is like okay this is the skill set that we're kind of looking for so i was able to easily slot into what they wanted and again that project didn't end up becoming anything but me doing it led to that internship or was (laughs) one of the reasons what led to that internship is because it gave me a portfolio piece that that they were looking for yes that i didn't know would that would help me and when you follow your path, I mean, when I set out to make the web series is because hmm. I was working with a partner at the time that wasn't my partner yet, but it was like, I, I like you a lot and I feel like we can be a great team. Let's figure out something to work on. And then we started thinking of ideas and our locations because we were still in the live action mindset. So then we found I had a location, which was like my parents' business and then... It was like, okay, we have a location. Let's build the whole show around that. And then because I was just talking about it passionately in the interview, I think that enthusiasm just shows. Like even the questions we Mm -hmm. ask in the icebreakers, it's like, I I had no idea I have so many thoughts about Primal or like I have so many (laughs) thoughts about uh, things until you ask it. And then not just like, hey, tell me about yourself. It's like once you ask, what are you passionate or hey, this thing you're passionate about, does it suck? And you're like, no, it doesn't suck. (laughs) And then that's that. (laughs) That comes out and is sort of infectious in a lot of ways. Yeah. When you talk about something you enjoy, it can trigger so many like sub conversations as you're kind of going through. Exactly. Which can, again, be really, really helpful. And especially like keeping conversation going, keeping who you're talking to engaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the other things I kind of also want to talk about is that you have also worked as an associate producer for like Nickelodeon doing some kind of interactive short form content. Can you tell us more about that experience, especially like the fact of the interactive space? Yeah. So... I didn't. Re- I, I think this is a space that not many people know about, and it's it's games, right? G- games for mm-hmm. kids, interactive games, mm-hmm. and what interactive means is because the kid has to actually touch the iPad in order to, or iPhone or mobile game to actually right. m- advance the game. They can't just view it. That experience was helpful because I worked with uh, VO artists like Josh from Blues Clues. Like I was able to sit in a session and. God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just like hear him, him go like, hey, Blue. And then director being like, hey, let's maybe bring it down because Blue's very sad here. 
hey blue you know uh-huh. it's like it's that <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of direction yeah. you know through osmosis you get to hear how directors talk to their talent and yeah. it differs from mm-hmm. adults to kid actors so there's that uh just learning how to write down the takes on a sheet like how to keep that organized like you do five takes but which one's the best one circle that one it's very like process oriented organized ways of learning how to do that as it's happening you have to write so many ways of saying wrong for the kid because <laughs> you never want to <laughs> tell the kid like like wrong it's more just like that wasn't right you're looking for mm-hmm. the blue one pick the blue one <laughs> you know and then you know they're clearly picking the orange one and they're like not that one <laughs> you know it's that kind of language yeah and then and then there's actually iterations of okay if they do it once play this one if they do it twice play this one and it's the third one play the last track which is just like how about this one which is essentially like teaching the kids how to play with an ipad because i think yeah they ha- they naturally know how to use an ipad but they don't know the words like swipe or like tap yeah. it's just like uh. commands yeah and mm-hmm. there's also no like sensory like touch it's just a flat screen so right. you have to direct them it's not like intuitive the way a button would be exactly and you have to do a lot of troubleshooting by playing the game constantly as the producer and associate producer. So you're constantly like trying to break it essentially. And if anyone's ever been a game tester, you're looking for like, is the triggers of the VO wrong? Is uh, Rusty Rivet's head all of a sudden over here? Uh, mm-hmm. Like, is the ball not rolling correctly to the right spot? So learning how to communicate that problem to your coders is super important. So it's like, hey, this isn't working here. It's not working as it's supposed to. Could you fix this? And also managing how many bugs there are or fixes that need to be made versus like moving forward with the project. Like what's manageable right now versus like what's a really big fix we need to figure out now before we can move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of review process and they have to be fast. So like maybe like a month, like these games are coming out, mm-hmm. which is relatively quick. I eventually got to transfer this kids series books called Bob Books. It's learning books like from the 70s to the Noggin app, which is Nick Jr.'s app. So I got to produce that whole project, like transfer all these books where you have to read every word and make every word tappable. So every word so that the kids, so it says like Yuki and Ray are on the podcast and then like I'd have to make Yuki and Ray and like all those words tappable so that the VO Uh artist now has to say all those words. So now I'm tracking like hundreds and hundreds of words that this person has to say <laughs> Holy. With, uh-huh, uh-huh. with inflections and then account for anything like, okay, if the kid taps, the because they're picture books. So if the kid taps on the page randomly, like, oh, maybe there's some stars that can show up or like some mm-hmm. weird animation that's just like fun for the kid mm-hmm. as Easter eggs. And I got to direct that he is the voice. I don't know his name, unfortunately, right now, but he's the voiceover artist of like all the Nickelodeon commercials. <laughs> like, oh, it's like Blaze mm-hmm. and the Monster Machines. And I got to have him uh-huh. do the VO, and that was pretty epic. That's so cool. That's awesome. So that was cool. And I, I got to manage someone. She was, uh, was she an intern at the time or like a production coordinator? So just you learn quickly that people have so much work that w- however you can best offload their burden is like such a huge deal <laughs> and and mm. competently people want help yeah mm-hmm. so something else i'm very much interested in is that one of the other things you have done is that you've also you know received sketch and improv training at the magnet theater the annoyance and the pit how did that kind of training improve your skills as a writer 
So I came at improv and sketch from the grown up adult world because I, I was trying to be my own entertainment person. And so mm-hmm. I was using those as training really just to like, one, be uh, plugged into the community, build my skill set as a performer mm-hmm. and just keep my mind not cloudy, I guess, <laughs> like keep yeah. the words right in front of me or make me think outside of the box. Like I, I, I most recently in December took a clown class. Like it's just, oh, oh wow, yeah. Um, clowning, one of the most essential things of that is just like being sensitive and accessing that childlike part of your brain. Mm. Hmm. I, I think what writers should do, and I've been recommended this in the past, writers should take acting classes because they mm-hmm. teach. It's not just to perform, but also to understand that your words need to be said by actors or performers, mm-hmm. and you can't put words in their mouth that sound like BS. Like you should really care for your actors so that you're taking care of them through your words. Like, of course, they could be shitty characters, but like they should be sh- like good shitty words too. <laughs> like in terms of <laughs> you know speaking to the voice of that character um so <laughs> taking sketch classes is really helpful to see your performers perform your words and that relationship between writer and performer is huge mm-hmm. also it just works on people skills like if you're bad at networking uh being an improv really helps just like get out of your head and if you mess up during a scene it's not a big deal so it's a similar way of like networking even if you say the quote-unquote wrong thing in your head it's it'll be okay you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a big mantra I learned from improv and just all this stuff is sort of like nothing matters. I've taken on this like Buddha sensibility of like, <laughs> like do the best you can, but in the end, nothing really matters. It's just all like ephemeral and tangible and um, who cares kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't mm-hmm. work out, there's another scene, there's another project, there's another, I mean, it might not seem like in the moment, but you really got to make sure you're okay with the this part not going well and that's okay yeah mm-hmm. so kind of sense like d- don't put so much weight on yourself like be be flexible and be kind of open to like having everything kind of be like a learning opportunity yeah and it really thickens your skin when you don't get laughs mm-hmm. and you make your choices because <laughs> then uh <laughs> it gets you faster it gets you thinking okay, that one didn't work. Maybe this one will work. And similarly mm-hmm. in writing, like having done stand-up sketch and improv, you iterate a lot and you, you get those 10,000 hours of just mm. the no's in, in like a writing sense of those. Mm-hmm. So, if you get a lot of notes, I mean, I still hate getting notes. Like, let's not be, like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying I'm a perfect writer here, but like I'm learning to uh, make choices faster on the page so that later when I get the notes, it doesn't feel as like epically like, reflective of my fail as a writer or something it's just i made a choice it didn't work right now but there's more stages that's why there are multiple stages to the writing process because we're all still figuring it out yeah and for any writers animators storyboard artists anybody in the arts i would always recommend taking some kind of improv or acting class because it's only it's only going to better you for exactly everything that you said june is like helps you get into the actor headspace helps you get into the headspace of somebody else that you might realize unintentionally without that knowledge you could be making somebody else's life harder mm. and knowing how to make the somebody's job down the line easier it's always beneficial and mm-hmm. I, I advocate highly for like improv i think it's super helpful and i've loved doing improv when i was in college i know animators too you guys have to do your 
uh, body references. So improv can help your body move and like what's dynamic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, one of the other things I kind of also want to kind of segue into is that how has kind of like your cultural background influence you as a writer? Yeah. So I didn't think it would, but that's sort of what led me to get into the fellowship. At first, I was trying to, I thought I had to write like a spec Arthur script or something. And then I reread the application process and it says, write an original pilot. I went, oh no. Because <laughs> at the time I was watching like so many episodes of Arthur to get into the headspace. And then I reread the application. It's like, oh, what do I need to do? It's like, write an original project. I think I, that was like, I mean, yes, it's not a long time, but I think that was like two weeks before it was due. And oh. if you ever write an original pilot, everyone knows that's really hard. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. At that point, because the fellowship is all about write what you know, and that's what every single writing person tells you, like write what you know, because that's what you're passionate about. That's what you're going to, it comes out on the page. So mm-hmm. I was in a scramble mode and I just like wrote about me and my older brother and what their relationship is as a six and 12 year old. Cause it was like for that age group that I was trying to write oh, that's for an age gap. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's, he's six years older than me. So I was like, I was just writing to that. And it was about two brothers that are technologically like savvy and get their iPad taken away. And they're like, no. And they have to stay at their uncle's place <laughs> and he can trans. And the two kids are like, oh, I hate books. Books are boring. They don't look like me. And that 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 was truly like where it came from of like, Ivanhoe, he's a white medieval night guy. I, that's not me. I can't be him. Um, I think when you don't see yourself at that young of age, you don't really project yourself onto them unless they're like mm-hmm. Arthur, which mm-hmm. is clearly an animal and clearly like, oh, I could be Arthur. It's not like a big deal. But when you always see like three musketeers and mm-hmm. there are three Frenchmen, you're like, oh, I'm not. This is just a nice story. I'm not like I'm a musketeer. So then mm-hmm. I put that in the character of like books suck. And then the, the uncle zap like magics them into the book so that they become the characters of the story. Mm-hmm. And so it's like. Mm-hmm. You wake up and everyone keeps talk, calling them, you're Robin Hood. And you're like, my name's not Robin Hood, I'm June. And um, that, that was the whole thing. It was like a literature, <laughs> see yourself in the story kind of cosplay kind of thing. Yeah. So kids, mm-hmm. it's a little magic school bus, a little wishbone and all that stuff. That I mean, those are those things I grew up watching. And um, there were two Korean boys. At first, I, I didn't really do that. And then I was like, all right, let's just make them Korean. Korean family and all this stuff. It wasn't like culturally, mm-hmm. I wasn't mine, mining cultural things other than like choco pie snacks or like little <laughs> touch points like that, but it wasn't like mm-hmm. heavily uh-huh. Korean. Right. Mm-hmm. But making them Korean was big enough, I think, in a lot of ways. And because mm-hmm. they didn't mm-hmm. see themselves in the stories, that was the whole push for why the show exists in my head of like, let's see these kids in these stories and they could be the stories, mm-hmm. the hero of the stories, even though uh, these classic stories yeah. don't feature them usually. Yeah. Yeah, because white white kids can be seen in everything. Exactly. That's really smart because I really like think that kids shows who it's like you can connect with a kid, but then when you watch it again later on, you're like, oh, this was something deeper. Like a concept like that to me is like, yeah, sometimes kids don't like to read books or sometimes they don't see themselves as other people in media. And that's not necessarily due to like their race or how they see themselves or like how they identify. Um, but later on in life, I think you can make that connection and be like, oh, this is why I felt that way. Because kids aren't really aware of that stuff, yep. but it can still be like a subconscious thing, like you said. So, yeah, I think that's that's really cool. And 
now there's a show called Bossy Bear that's going to come out on Nick Jr. And that show is created by uh, this couple who's a Korean woman and uh, her husband who actually is a Caucasian man. So this couple, they created Ugly Dolls and then they created this book apparently called Bossy Bear and then have since pitched it to become a Nick, Nick series. And the characters are Korean. And the town is sort of like a Korean influenced town. Hmm. And I've never written stories where I had to bring so much of my Koreanness to a project. And (laughs) (laughs) it's crazy how much joy can come from a character saying grandma in Korean in the script Mm. and sort of being so taken aback by, I can't believe this is being created right now. And I think there's like a real revelation that happens for us as artists when we take it from here's our hobby and fun thing to do to now doing almost the same thing but of course at a higher level being expressed professionally and there's a budget there's people actually creating this thing and i can't Mm -hmm. believe on an american Mm -hmm. show we're about to hear people speak korean and you know be okay with that uh i mean it happened in um turning red recently yeah and yeah those are those moments of like every kid goes like i recognize that (laughs) and it's it's so Uh fun but yeah i i created storylines around kimchi i created storylines about um, Uh, (laughs) you know certain aspects of when i was a kid and bringing a food i thought i was ashamed of because i was in a home ec class and she this was in junior high and she said everyone bring a dish from your culture and mm-hmm. I brought it in and I was like, I, I sort of like scurried it to the back. It was actually purugogi, which is like one of the most delicious, oh. like non-offensive mm. meals you could bring to yeah. a class like that. <laughs> I mean, it's marinated barbecued meat. Like who doesn't love that? Like, it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and delicious. I felt weird about it because it was like, it wasn't like the best purugogi. Like I didn't want to misrepresent Korean culture or something. And then I sort of like <laughs> scooted it back. I thought the color was weird because sometimes purugogi doesn't. Like it can be sort of gray and not that. Yeah, it's like, some meat. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it wasn't glistening. And I sort of like scooted it to the back with saran wrap and I was so embarrassed. And but then someone was like, hey, what's this? And I was like, oh, no, they found it. And then but then they started eating it <laughs> and they like devoured it. And I was like, what's going on? So that was, <laughs> that was sort of revolutionary at that time. So I, I brought that mm-hmm. kind of emotional fear into this story related to Mm. like a Korean food in that way. And that was cool. Direct experience of my fears of being a Korean person in American, you know, classroom and how people perceive me and don't want to misrepresent the Korean culture. Cause of course, yes, every, every person will think Korean food sucks because June brought in this awful dish, (laughs) you know, (laughs) kids are so good at spiraling. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. And their imagination goes wild. And nowadays, I don't know how it is as animators, but every single project is like, let's bring cultural aspects to everything. And the timing is so good just as a person of color in this business, I think, because at least in the kids industry, I don't know. I I think they want to change the world for the better and they, they are walking the walk in a lot of ways in terms of hiring, in terms of making people rise in the ranks. A little mm-hmm. quicker than the grown-up industry where people feel like we can't have stories about kids with disabilities and we can't have stories about like adults are so hung up on showing people that are different. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Whereas kids industry, maybe because it's the volume of how much we need to do, they're a little more open to like, <laughs> yeah, put that 
story in. Who cares? Like, we just gotta get this out of there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, but very much so, like, um, kind of as you mentioned, is that uh, more stuff now there's kind of being culture brought in, but that's because it took us so long for people of color to be in the position they are now. And hopefully more people of color keep being in a higher position so we can see stuff more representational. Like not, not every story has to be exactly connected to the culture, but just the fact that like we can have a movie where it's just different representation and like it doesn't have to be culturally heavy, but just know like, yeah, there's more than just white characters that exist in this world. Mm-hmm. There's like multitudes of color. Yeah. Being a second set of eyes on things. So let's say a writer does something culturally insensitive and it's not even i know they don't intend it and it's just like flagging things yeah so that they don't mm-hmm. cause a problem later totally mm-hmm. that's that's really huge i think especially at the writing level because like my experience as an animator is like i might have a problem with the way something is written or how like uh something is represented and i like maybe i have a problem with that but it's like that's honestly not my decision to make, unfortunately. Like, there's no, like, mm-hmm. backwards, you know, upwards flow motion. And at that point, it's kind of too late in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we've already written, boarded, and, like, are now animating the scene. It's, like, way too late. So if somebody can be in the writer's room and already catch that, like, that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also, like, you, you were saying, we are getting more, like, of these stories of culture which is really important. And I think right now we're kind of in that phase of like, oh, we are discovering lots of different cultures from around the world. And that's really important. And someday we're going to get to that point where we can just exist and not have to be like a bastion of our own culture. Or like that is the only kind of character trait that I have or something like that. Um, and I think we're going to get there pretty soon mm-hmm. with, with how, how things are going. I thought Turning Red did a great job of showing that home life but it, yeah. it not being the, mm-hmm. the whole point of the movie, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. where I want to go with my series. Hopefully when it gets made, it's just like the culture stuff is just added specificity rather than here's everything about Korean people, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, June. Before we get into our final question, where can our audience find you? Is there And is there anything else you want to promote? I'm uh, not above puns, so my handle everywhere is the Juniverse. <laughs> so that's T H E J O O N Inverse, and that's where I am on the Instagrams and things. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Any other projects that I should be on the lookout for, or that's already been released? I'm I'm getting married, so if you want to uh, <laughs> me- message me, congratulations. That's the biggest project I'm working on. Hopefully, it goes well. Oh, good luck with that. Well, congratulations, congrats. that's dude. awesome. Yeah. yeah. And as we come to a close, any final advice that you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in writing? Okay, I have a, I have a few here. Uh, email back immediately, okay? <laughs> if people have some opportunity, please just be prompt. And then um, have samples ready because that's huge. I spoke to someone who just graduated out of college and she said she started learning Spanish because that seems to be the type of people that employers are looking for and she was like a white jewish girl from tennessee and i was just like yo don't learn spanish do you have a writing sample she's like no and i was like oh whoa 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 whoa. like you are never gonna learn spanish well enough to out spanish a real spanish speaker one and two like have a writing sample because They'll find like out if you can't speak Spanish. Like, 
speaking Spanish is not what got them. It's like an added bonus of greatness for this like prospective employee, but not because their writing sample was good first, not because they were Spanish speakers mm-hmm. first. So mm-hmm. please, if you're a writer, mm-hmm. have a writing sample. And um, if you feel stuck and you're not getting the job, really try to foster your creativity through all the things we mentioned, you know, improv, sketch, uh, take classes in that way, hang out with buddies who are also creative. And if you write anything, just read those scripts aloud with them. I remember back in the day too, I went to Barnes Noble and just read a uh, a Napoleon Dynamite screenplay (laughs) with my friend and just acting out the scenes. And it was just so funny. And it's just, you know, fun to have a blast hearing your characters aloud and you can write. I mean, there's, there's nothing stopping a writer from doing anything. And every job you do will inform your writing. So even though that job at Gap sucks, it will show up in your writing. Every argument you have with your significant other will probably show up in your writing. <laughs> Every uh, joyful thing, like I've picked up surfing, I've definitely said, oh, those characters are surfer now. Like that will show up in your writing. <laughs> I'm sure down the road, if I make podcast characters, their names will be Ray and Yuki. You know, like, oh, no. these oh. things will show up everywhere. So I've done podcasts. It didn't work out. But if, you know, I did it, like you just got to mm-hmm. keep creative and keep your uh, keep making those opportunities for yourself and it's not about money it's about life experiences yeah that's really that's awesome yeah it's great thank you thank you for that piece of advice thank you for that multiple pieces of advice <laughs> yeah <laughs> and if you enjoyed our interview stuff. with june today please rate and follow us on anchor spotify or wherever you tune in follow us on twitter and instagram at straight ahead ap Thanks, June, for reaching out to us about like all the guests that you've suggested and uh, for willing to be on the, the podcast in the first place. If you, audience member, have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcasts at gmail.com. We love to discover new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Ashley Itleon. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening, and thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye. Bye.